Hey, good evening. Thank you guys for coming out on a real hot night. And I want to tell you, there haven't been that many Monday nights where it's just been so hot all day and then be at 90 degrees at 7 o'clock. And I've got air conditioners running and this these things are old. They're not cranking out like what they should. I turned the fans on and by this time of the day, it just seems like it's really sweltering. I am sorry. I was hoping for something like what tomorrow is going to be or what it had been for the last couple of days. I look at the temperature and I go, oh no, it's going to be hot in there again. By about 4 or 5 o'clock, it starts warming up. So, my apology. Hopefully next week it will be a little bit better. How many times have we had it where it's 90 degrees at 7 o'clock? That's not normal, right? <laughs> Who knows? What is normal? Anyway, day to day. Thank you for coming out, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have it not quite so hot in here the rest of summer. Hey, uh, we are in um, the middle of spiritual warfare, the armor of God. That section near the end of Ephesians 6. Can you guys hear me back there with everything running around? We're okay? That means I'll come further. We're blind. We're not deaf. So the first three rows are going to get a blast, and then Carolyn back there says, What? She's got a huge fan blowing right behind Yeah, it really won't matter what you say. Yeah. Okay. In Ephesians 6, it's that famous armor of God that we're uh, so familiar with, and yet at the same time we can't even begin to exhaust all the depths that are here in this section. Uh, Tremendous truths. And the armor of the Christian is uh, very important, very vital. Uh, Just, it's, it's inexhaustible. And I've read volumes of different authors, of different books on the armor of God, spiritual warfare. And uh, the more that you read there, you find out you can't even begin to plumb the depths of this great Christian truth. So we'll probably take one week for each piece of the armor that we put on, if that's okay, and um, try to get much out of there, as at least that we can. We uh, are believers. We are involved in a warfare, a battle. We have a formidable enemy. That enemy knows how to attack. We are on a collision course with uh, the forces of hell as you live for God. Matter of fact, we're not just on a collision course. It's uh, one of those kind of things we know that uh, we constantly run into this. Uh, the question, the only question really that lies uh, in front of us is how is he going to do it next? How does it manifest itself? Many different ways. Uh, it's inevitable though that uh, we have this. The adversary works hard. He works very effective. He works very powerfully against the child of God. And remember, as Christians, we possess a tremendous treasure and uh, a great resource that we have to draw upon and we know we win. In the meantime, uh, as we struggle, uh, remember the resources. And Ephesians has already shown us what we have. You say, what resources? What do we have? Well, in Ephesians 1, we find out that God has chosen us. He has made us beloved in Him. He has granted us forgiveness of sins. He has adopted us into His family. He's given us knowledge and understanding. 
He has given us the Holy Spirit and sealed us. He has given us uh, the mysteries uh, that are solved as being Christians. We have the very capability of expressing the power that He has given us. I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, what is underneath the hood of a Christian? That's amazing power. The resurrection power of Christ uh, lives in us. Awesome power of God. So we can take on the enemy. And we can uh, can accomplish the very goals, the very purpose that God has. And uh, He's uh, we are the ones that He's working through to accomplish His purpose and plan. Now, can you think of that and realize that that's immense that He would use us to work through His plans of the universe, of the ages. So we uh, are to withstand the attacks that we have from Satan. And we know the enemy attacked God Himself in the heavens. He lost there. Uh, He attacked in the garden mankind. He won there. And uh, he attacks the very people of God today. And He attacks Jesus Christ and His birth and His life, His death and burial and resurrection. Everything He has uh, tried to destroy and attack, uh, He uh, is not winning there. He tries to destroy the church 2,000 years later. Here we are. We're still here. Uh, So God is doing His thing and yet He is having us to um, Maintain the power that He's given us to be able to uh, to work in this. And the enemy who will someday uh, try to hold the earth against the power of Christ when He comes back. He will try to defeat Christ when that happens. And He will be foiled there also. We're on the winning side. Uh, quite a foe. Uh, quite a foe. A formidable foe against uh, the believer in this age. If uh, the Christian is not ready... The Christian will lose battles and uh, lose effectiveness as being a Christian. Matter of fact, uh, will not even appear to be a Christian sometimes. And we don't want that. That's why we have this section here and the book of Ephesians and the whole counsel of God to keep us from uh, being beaten. So how are we going to resist all the things that the devil does and all the complexities? He is very clever, right? Very deceptive. Uh, Does it in a way that is so cunning and crafty and deceitful that we would never know sometimes. Um, And you can say, well, I guess I really have to concentrate on what He is doing. And we say, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to concentrate on all the different efforts that He's making. Just concentrate on what you are doing and concentrate on the Lord Christ Himself. And you don't have to worry about all the different things or knowing the names of all the demons and the different ways that they can come against you. Uh, You don't have to know the definition or categorize all the attacks, the different kinds of attacks that you get. Sometimes we get attacked and we don't even know it. I think that happens a lot of the time. We don't even know we've been attacked. Uh, So it doesn't matter how subtle and trying to spell out all all the subtleties that uh, Satan has. He's too sophisticated. It goes beyond uh, human and it's super, uh, superhuman uh, for us to deal with. We can't, we can't do it on our own. And that's why he says to put on the whole armor of God. 
because if we have that, then we have our defenses. We have all the defense that, that we need. Just be ready. Just be ready for it. Uh, you don't have to go around studying all the different uh, ways that he attacks. It's kind of nice to know. But if you're ready, when it does happen, you'll be able to stand. And that's what we looked at it, uh, last week about standing firm against the wiles of the devil. We don't go around uh, looking for him and all the demons. Um, we just stand firm. Stand firm. Well, that leads us up to the verse of where we are at. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 6, Stand therefore, that was the key phrase last week, stand firm, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. We're not even going to do a whole verse tonight. Half a verse. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for what You give us. You have equipped us with everything we need. People who do not deserve anything and You have put us into the highest position that any human could possibly be and that's in the family of God. And we thank You, Father, for that. Thank You for telling us that while we're here on earth for this short little while, we have battles and we have struggles, but yet we have all the power that we'll ever need to stand firm against uh, quite a formidable foe. Uh, And uh, it is not surprising to you when we do get struck, but uh, the Captain, Jesus Christ, is always there. And as we begin to now study the armor, the warfare that we're involved with, we must know what we are to put on for it will help us immensely as we go about our daily lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is all dealing with the Christian life, really what it is. From the moment you get up in the morning till the time that you go to bed till even when you sleep, um, it's um, being aware that um, who we are and what God has put us here for and what is the outcome of all this? Good to have all those answers, isn't it? To know what you believe and why you believe it. And that's where we get into dealing with truth. Gird your waist with truth. Put on that uh, belt, the belt of truth. Now, what was Paul known as besides being an apostle and a slave as he would go about from town to town? What else was he known as? Evangelist. An evangelist. An evangelist uh, going against the world and the devil uh, usually will bring on persecution. And in Paul's case, where did he wind up at? And as he writes Ephesians, guess where he's at? He's in prison. He's in jail. He's in uh, where the soldiers are um, guarding him. Matter of fact, Sometimes they would even be chained to him, one on one side and one on the other. So he looks at this soldier and he sees all the different uh, things that they would wear as being Roman soldiers. And as he was uh, chained, he drew up a picture for people like us to understand what the Christian battle is about and what we are to do to defend ourselves. In this section, there are six pieces mentioned. Uh, there are more that a soldier would wear 
but these are the um, important ones. Uh, they're the essentials. They are something that would be considered um, something that we are to, to wear spiritually, inwardly. So they're very essential. And a lot of commentators, and, and I, what I would say probably most of them, will say there are, out of these six, there's two groups of threes. Kind of easy to remember. The first three are ones uh, where they um, the armor that they put on is not nece- or, or it is fixed to your person. Like the first one is a belt, right? And a, a belt is something that's going to be fixed to you. Um, then the other one is the breastplate. And so the breastplate is fixed to you. And then another one are the shoes, sandals. Um, what they would wear there is something that is attached to you. And then you look at the other three, and they're not necessarily attached uh, in the way that those other three are. Um, the shield is not fixed to your body. You hold on to that. Uh, the helmet, you can say, well, that's attached to you. Well, actually, it's a leather cap with pieces of metal on it. And really, it was placed on the head, but it was not really firmly attached. Um, uh, it wasn't tied on to you, you know, in that sense. And then the, uh, you have the sword. And the sword would not be attached to your person either. So there's your, your two groups. Um, the order in which the pieces appear are really important, especially the first one, because truth is the most important. It's the basis for all the other ones to be able to be put on. Truth is something that is um, what Paul wants to stress. Make sure that they are firmly committed uh, to this truth. It's absolutely essential and uh, before anything else can be applied, it's that. And so that is why he would start with that belt of truth or girding your waist with truth. Now, if you have uh, your, uh, your outlines, of, they have function. And, of course, a lot of this probably everybody's heard of. Maybe you haven't. Uh, we'll go through some of these things. Some of these you say, well, I'm quite familiar with that. Maybe we'll be able to pick up some other things that we haven't. Because there have been many people taught this section for many different times over many different years, and we've probably heard a lot. And uh, hopefully this will just be a reminder to us. Um, But the the girdle or the belt is in the tense here as far as the Greek is concerned, is something that we put it on. We actively do it. It's not something passively that is put on us. It's something that we are aware of what we put on. Um, my version says, Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. The way that the King James puts it is like it's, it's been put on you. Uh, you'll notice a lot of the other versions is like you are actively to do that. Are your versions reading like that? Yeah. And that, that would be the correct um, way that it is put in the, in the Greek. Let's say, um, take a football example. They have their uniforms on. Uniforms are very tight. They're not just 
light fitting and everything's just kind of hanging loose but it's it's tight and you can imagine if you had something loose that if you were running back they can just take a hold of that that shirt and just grab it and just pull you down and I remember in my junior high days and playing football you know around the neighborhood and such that's what kids would do to tackle you sometimes they'd do whatever it took and but that would be one thing and of course your shirt might even rip and everything and if it rips great you can get away <laughs> they had these rip uh, rip away or tear away shirts in in college uh, but anyway um, you don't you don't want somebody to yank you down so you want to make sure that uh, everything is is slim and tuck um, what the idea here is is that a soldier has to have everything tied together. You don't want to have something flopping around while you're around in combat. And of course, what they wore would be a tunic, and you would uh, you would have a, a sleeve here that you'd put into a sleeve here, and then another a third hole where you'd put your head through. That's basically it. It would be pretty long, and would extend on out. And if um, you were going to set down like like men, they would just go ahead and um, they could they could take that off, whatever is or is no big deal, they would take the belt off. But if you're getting ready to do some work, you go and you put the belt on, tuck it in there and make sure that nothing loose is going to be flopping around. Can you imagine being a soldier in battle and uh, you got your sword and you got uh, your shield up here like this, you're going like that and all of a sudden the wind comes along this thing goes up into your face, you know, and you can't see, and it's all just flopping around everywhere. Uh, we don't want that, do we? We don't want to do that. We're, we're in hand-to-hand combat here, and that's really what's happening. This, this is hand-to-hand combat. It's not something where you have, uh, you're in a foxhole, and somebody else is over here maybe 200 yards away. They're in a bunker. No, you're out there uh, doing battle one-on-one here. And so it's uh, it's something that is very personal, hand-to-hand combat. You don't want something to be tangling you up while you're in doing something that is uh, really important up. It'll wrap you up. So loose garments, that's not what we want. They have to use those garments, but want to make sure they're, they're tied up. So uh, no hindrances, nothing flapping around. Uh, can you imagine tripping and stumbling when you are in a uh, fight? Kind of sense that up. It, um, another uh, example is a guy. Uh, let's say he's running track. He's at a track meet, and he shows up with combat boots and uh, let's say, how about an overcoat? And he's out there running the hundred-yard dash. That guy's really going to win this thing, right? Unless he's running against me. <laughs> but. You don't want to have anything that that's loose there again. It would just just be absolutely stupid. Don't don't try that. Don't go out on the track doing that. Okay. Um, but you have the other guys who wear almost nothing. You know what I mean? And it's almost embarrassing some of the outfits that they have now. And I understand in the uh, the original Olympics in Athens, uh, they ran naked. Uh, they wanted to get off as much as they could and. and you know, they would wrestle that way. They didn't want to have anything encumbering. I'm not suggesting that at all, but uh, there are reasons why I guess they did that. I can't understand that, but um, at the same time, we don't want the combats and uh, boots and the overcoat uh, getting in our way. 
Uh, anyway. So it's a swim outfit now that they use as competitive swimming or like a second skin. Exactly. The holy grail of sports, but football uniforms are embarrassing. <laughs> Pretty tight, aren't they? They're embarrassing. They look yeah. like a second skin. They're embarrassing. That's almost the same kind of thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What was it, Michael? Um, Michael? Uh, was he Michael, the, the, the swimmer? Won all the, the, the... Oh, yeah. Phelps. Yeah, Phelps. Yeah, Phelps. Yeah, all those guys, they were wearing like it was, like, that was... They really weren't wearing much at all. <laughs> Whatever they were wearing was as skin tight as could be, yeah. because every one hundredth second can mean a difference between winning and losing. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes a difference. Well, they definitely would make themselves make it tight, right? And that's what we're after here. We want to be tight in what we're committed to, uh, committed absolutely to truth, being bound up. Um, Tied together, uh, held together by that. That's that's the thought of um, this the the truth, this belt of truth. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more. There's a there's a freedom in the sense, even though it seems like you're being tied up that way, being tight. There's a freedom knowing that in any kind of movement that you make, that uh, you don't have to worry about something coming loose, uh, equipment malfunction, right? Um, Go to Second Timothy chapter two, and now we'll start trying to apply another illustration to our daily lives. Second uh, Timothy two verse four. Can you guys hear me back there? Okay, it's all right. I'm a loud mouth. <laughs> no one engaged in warfare. There's our warfare illustration. Entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So there is the illustration of being in warfare and you don't go around entangling yourself up with other things outside the army. Uh, You can imagine being in your barracks and say, "Uh uh-oh, it's 7 o'clock. You know what? I've got another job over here I've got to report to. Can you imagine being in the army and then uh, having extra jobs on the side? Yeah, that's not going to fly at all, is it? That's not going to work. So, he says, don't be entangled with any other kind of affairs, any other thing that would cause problems, that things would be loose out there. Gird those loins up. Uh, you want to be free to move about. That's that's the idea. And another thing is uh, readiness, being ready. The soldier has to be ready, has to be alert. We see that constantly all through this text and all the verses that we go to. Uh, if you know that you're secure, if you've, if you've tied your shoes up, for instance, and you've gotten them really tight and you've got it knotted up good and everything, you know that it's not going to come loose and your shoe's going to fall off if you've gotten it tight. You're confident of saying, okay, I've got that together, right? I've thought about it and I've made a conscious effort here. Go to Luke 12, 35. 36. And Jesus says this, something very similar. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. 
And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. It's talking about readiness here. A parable of the servant who is waiting. He's expecting. Could be any time, so he's ready. The lamps are burning. But there he uses that illustration, let your waist be girded. Put on the belt. So not only is it dealing with um, not letting loose things bother you, but he's also saying when you are this way, then you're confident, you're secure, you're ready, you're, uh, you're waiting for that enemy. You remember the Passover? And they were to be waiting and ready to get out of there at any moment. In Exodus chapter 12, staff on the hand and such. Verse 11. Exodus 12:11. And thus you shall eat it. That's that's the Passover lamb with a belt on your waist. There we go. Really, in reality, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So there, something really and truly physically that he's describing, but yet it's also giving a spiritual reality of being ready, being uh, alert and watchful at any moment. Being hasty. First Peter one thirteen. Same kind of illustration. After Peter has told them about the inspiration of Scripture, and then he says, Therefore, because of what God has done for you, gird up the loins of your mind. Here we go. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be ready. Be sober. Have your hope there. Uh, all the way to the time that Christ comes back. Gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, so, whenever he, um, Paul is talking about this, I think that's what he's saying as far as Peter is concerned, as far as about what we think, uh, what uh, truth that we have. So let's look at what's the idea of truth, since that is something that is argued about in our society today. Everybody has their own idea of truth. And first, we're going to start with what it is not. And what uh, is not meant here in Ephesians 6, which some really good commentators will tell you what it is. And we'll give a reason why it's not. Some of them will say, oh, yeah, Bob. I just wanted to put a little preface to get into this thing about truth. I heard something on uh, Back to the Bible with Will Crowe. that he reads. Uh, by these people that study like different cults and things like that that have come in over the years. And he said back in 1966 there was a main book written and there were four main cults. And then he said one just came out recently and now there are over 700 cults and half of them are connected with Christianity. They bear the name Christianity. Yeah. Did you say since the 60s? Yeah, 66. Four major said, cults, and now there's yeah. set over 700? Yeah, they can actually identify 
if you want to like get a perspective on what you're going to be talking about here, truth, and you see a pattern of, you know, corrupted truth, I guess you could say, or... Most of those would be using in some form or manner, not as their yeah. absolute authority, but the Word of God, yeah, right? In other the Bible. Words, it's so important to, to have and know and follow the truth because there's so many perversions. So that hits right at the crux of where we're yeah, at. That's what this saying. is what he's talking about, and that's why so many people are getting so lost in that they didn't gird up the loins with, you know, yeah. didn't and the fact commit that to that truth. Are, have uh, Christianity. Affiliated or somewhere, you know, mentioned mentioned in there or something like that. That's that's just right. <laughs> you know, pretty incredible. Yeah. That and that's why the New Testament is so full of warnings of people that'll come along yeah. saying that it is. Well, but you can also look at the mainline denominations and look at the differences in just minor doctrines that, that we all have that don't differentiate us from cult but there are different interpretations of what the tr- what truth is sure you know. and how about uh, where there's liberalism inside of denominations that as a whole are uh, not liberal but they will have liberal tendencies in almost all denominations but yeah, and doctrine doesn't mean anything to them. But yet they line up with a particular thought. But yeah, just all the disagreements. Doesn't it bother you sometimes all the disagreements that are in the body of Christ? <laughs> and sometimes it's staggering and go, wow, why? why? But uh, I, I guess in the realm of the body of Christ, there are, there's room to be able to debate there are other things that we can't disagree on whatsoever, but it, it, there's multiplicities. And I think the enemy has gotten in um, the church from the very get-go. And that's why there have been so many things. I'm thankful that there, and we'll get into this uh, historically in a few moments, about all the creeds and the councils, uh, the confessions that had to be done to correct the error and heresy. It's amazing that 2,000 years later we still have the body of truth right here. Incredible. Okay, some have argued that the truth doesn't stand for objective truth here. They will say it's subjective. And I would say most of you probably know the difference between that. Subjective is dealing with what I feel about things. It's uh, centered on my thoughts. Subjective is not necessarily wrong. And then there's objective, which is the objective truth. Regardless of what I think or what I believe or what I feel, here is objective truth. Well, I don't like that. Uh, God says uh, that there is a such thing as a hell. Well, I just don't. I just don't like that. I, I feel that that's not right. That's not very loving. Well, that's subjective feelings. They can be wrong, they can be right, but here's the objective truth, and it doesn't matter what you think. This is what is real and what is objective. This is the object, right? So, there, uh, a lot. Uh, some commentators will say, well, this is subjective, and they'll read it like this. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, or with truthfulness, or just being faithful. 
you're being truthful in your actions and in your way. So now we've turned it into rather than... And, and Bill goes, like that, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, it, does that strike you as well, uh, yeah, that's odd, right? I mean, it's, well, it's so easy for you to twist it to become so much more palatable to an individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean it's, it's more my truth <laughs> than it is true. That's what we're Which saying. Is the difference between that, yeah, this can be my truth yeah. rather versus the, the truth. truth. Yeah, and that's where they run into trouble. That's and okay for you. Exactly. How many times do we hear that? There we go. God is a God of love. (laughs) Julia, right, as as her professor, uh, who is our teacher, who also is a pastor of a conservative church. But how often does that happen? So... um, Charles Hodge, actually, the great theologian who put together systematic theology, believed in that. He says uh, that that's gird your waist with truthfulness. Be truthful in your actions. Uh, and other ones have done that. Um, but I'm suggesting that that's not what it means. Well, it's talking about armor. So, I mean, you got to take it in context. You're right. Being truthful isn't, far- isn't any armor. That's exactly it. All of this is something that God is giving us. This is armor. I mean, it's the Bible that's on here. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Zach's got one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not using it. But he got on the right row. He's he's always been there. Well, it can be used as it's defensive. I mean... We're probably getting ahead by four minutes. Yeah, we can't go what, there yet. What, is, what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> armor. Armor. No, 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 no. You don't exactly no. think of armor as anything other than defense. And a sword, you, well, you can run it pretty much. Armor, it's true. I mean, a shield, you can smack yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely works. Really as a sword, you picture as more of an aggressive. And it is offensive. Although it can be used as a defense, but for the most part, does the word armor imply defense or offense? I think in this case, the ones that we're looking at, especially for the next five weeks, what do you consider belt? What do you consider It's going to be on the defensive, absolutely. What about belt lashings? At a house when the son is disobedient. Yeah. Christ was beaten. <laughs> Christ was beaten. Paul was beaten. I can see it being beaten. Belt lashing, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Whenever he lost his sword, so, right? Even. But to summarize, the belt of truth becomes part of you. Well, no, we're talking about the belt. The belt of truth becomes part of you. Yeah, right. It's attached to you. But, okay. Hold on. I, I have a question. If you're going to use the belt as a offensive weapon, wouldn't it make your all your stuff flop around and fly yeah. around so they That's can right. it and yank it down? Exactly. You got it right there, Michael. That's it. So we put that back on, and it's defense. And that's that's the idea. Put well, that thing on and buckle well, I'm it up. Thinking you're going to lose if you try to use belt as an offensive You're not, unless you're taking on babies. You know, you're not going to win with that that belt. So it's a. Uh, 
definitely a defense. The armor is provided to us by God, right? All of this is, is coming from God. It, it, it's not something that is is of ourselves. It's something that comes from God, but it's something that's that's close to us. Something we put on. So, okay, if it's not subjective, then what is it? Well, we're going to show that we think it's objective. So let's prove that. Let's go to John 8.30. What's that? No. I was thinking that it's objective. No. Because isn't that so our thoughts? Get your Bible out. <laughs> no. That's a good question because that's what uh, an unbeliever would like to address us with. And we've got to come back and say, it doesn't matter what I think it says. It's what does it say. And that's why we're going to go to a lot of scriptures. I'm glad you said that. Because we need that. How many, has there, Have you ever gotten that from somebody? Yes. If you haven't, you will. It's not what I said. It's what Jesus said. Right. What did Jesus really say? Yeah. What? And so, if we look at enough verses, which is basically what we have done for 26 years now, if we are going to uh, make an assumption on something, then we have to back it up, not with just one scripture, but maybe multiple ones to say, okay, let's lock tight this thing down and make sure that we're not coming up with an opinion from Dennis Helton. I don't care about Dennis Helton's opinion. I don't even care about it. I could care less about it. Uh, You know, if it's wrong, well, fantastic, get it out of here. But if it's God's truth and we have enough to prove it by, then I think we're on to something. And that's what counts. Uh, If God said this, so... We're going to use our minds that God has given us, the best gift that we have been given out of everything. The mind is the best because that is uh, how we will learn God's revelation. What is it? What is it? John 8.30 and ongoing verses. He spoke these words. Many believed in Him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide, if you stick around, if you remain in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. You're going to prove who you really are if you live in My Word, if you abide in it. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everybody's heard that one. Unbelievers know that verse. The truth shall make you free. Now, they might use that differently, but in this context... Jesus is speaking Himself, right? And He's saying, if you know the truth, then the truth is going to set you free. Free from what? Well, if you look on further down, uh, they answered Him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? They're saying, we're not in bondage. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. They're not free. They are in bondage. Anybody that says they have free will, they are uh, not truthful or they just are ignorant, but they are not lining up with what Jesus says. He says they're in bondage. They're in bondage to sin. They are depraved creatures until they've been set free by the Word of God, the Gospel. That frees us. Okay, what absolutely is the truth there, though? You'll know the truth. You'll say, well, that means Jesus Christ, right? Well, yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to John seventeen seventeen. We get in on one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible, and this is Jesus Himself speaking to God the Father, and we 
get to read this 2,000 years later with what He was addressing the Father with. Sanctify them by Your truth. Set them apart by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Now we're getting a little closer here. What do we have? We have truth. We're sanctified by truth. We're set free out of the bondage of sin according to a John 8 passage. John 17 says, keep sanctifying them, Lord. Keep setting them apart. They're saved, but they need to be sanctified by the Word. Your Word is truth. I think we're catching on to something here. There's a pattern going. This is from Jesus. Let's go and see what Paul says since Paul is a voice of God also, even though he's just an apostle. But he's speaking inspired Scripture. And in 16.13, 1 Corinthians, Watch, stand fast. Those terms sound familiar to our Ephesians, don't they? In the faith, be brave, be strong. Now, you don't have the word truth there, but he's talking about in the faith. You watch, you stand fast. That's the same kind of context that we've been dealing with in Ephesians 6, standing firm, and then also um, wearing that belt. And we were talking about it means to be able to be alert, to be watchful. So you stand fast in the faith, in the faith. Jesus was talking about the Word setting us free. Uh, go on to First Peter. Now we've had Jesus, we've had Paul. Let's look at the Apostle Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. So far we haven't seen, stand firm in your feelings. Stand firm in your opinions. <laughs> but we do get something that seems to be quite consistent. After Peter, and we read this earlier, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. There's girding up, being sober. Same kind of context as, as Ephesians now, right? Second time we've looked at this. Gird up the loins of your mind. So he's getting the mind involved here with truth that sets us free, that sanctifies us. It's truth that saves us truth that sanctifies us. It's truth that we are watching and standing firm and girding up the loins. The context is what is important. Chapter 5, verse 9, 1 Peter. Some kind of a context that's very close. Remember, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Steadfast, standing firm, right? In the faith, knowing that the same suffering is okay. But there it's in the faith again. Truth, the truth, the faith, standing fast in it, being firm in that is something consistent. I like the Jude passage. Just uh, one book before Revelation. Jude 1, and there's only one, one, one chapter. Verse 3. 
Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation, you guys have all had the same kind of salvation. You're saved the same way by grace through faith. Right? I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly, to fight for the what? The faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The truth, the faith, same thing. The faith is what you believe in. What you believe in is the whole counsel of God or it's the truth or it's the Word. The whole thing. Now when we get to the word sword, later on in Ephesians 6, it's a specific word. A... um, um, maybe one scripture that hits the enemy right in the belly, right? It's using that sword in uh, the particular point that needs to be used. But this is uh, um, the overall, the whole thing, the whole body of truth, the Word of God. And so we need to know the Word of God. We need the whole Word of God. We need the whole counsel of God. The faith the truth. And so, when we think of the Word of God, usually we think of that, that whole body of it. But Macarrow is dealing with the little, the smaller sword. Not the great big wielding sword that go around you know, trying to cut off a head, but it's the one that's trying to get to a specific point. It's almost like a dagger. And that's what certain scriptures can do. And that's later on. Anyway, the body, the faith. So, what are we getting at now? Taking the belt, cinching it up, it means being mastered or held by the truth. The truth. Not what you think. Now, if what you're thinking is agreeing with what this is saying, as you're being renewed in the mind, then that's great. But you're mastered by what this says. So it's the objective truth, and then the subjective does come in because now our lives align to that. So there's nothing wrong with the subjective. It's just that it always proceeds after the objective truth. We live our lives now according to that. And we would give counsel according to certain things of the truth of God and apply that. We could use certain situations in our own lives that would be in agreement with with the word there. And so to bring that subjective element is key. It's very important. But it doesn't start with that. We have a, It's dealing with being, having a subtle conviction of the Word of God. You know it's the Word of God. You know that it is your guidebook. It is being convinced and convicted that this is where all the answers are at. And so you, you don't have any doubts about the Word of God. Man, that belt is on. And it doesn't matter what kind of cult that comes up to you, you're ready to take that um, false stuff that's coming ultimately from Satan. You can take it on. You can stand firm because you have the truth. Yeah. But that's part of where I believe it was either first or second Timothy. I remember Eldon. Is Eldon here? No, Eldon's Eldon did a narration years ago about preaching the Word. That's not an overnight thing. And that's where a lot of for lack of a better word, baby Christians run into trouble with the cults is they start being told mm-hmm. stuff and they go, oh, well, that sounds kind of good. 
you know, that's why we... Sounds a little different. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that's why we need to really be in the Word, because it takes a while to get a pretty big book. <sighs> a lot there. You don't just read it through one time and you go, okay. I got it. I got it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so, you know, so we have to be diligent about being in it so that, that we aren't led astray. That's right. That's that's how you get committed yeah. to that to that truth. So when something comes along, you can counter. You can smell well, you a... you don't even have to counter. You can just say, nah, sorry. Yeah. You know, I mean, because, I mean, I mean, we, we, you know, we teach apologetics classes till we're blue in the face, and yet, you know, all we really need to do is just say no, as opposed to, I mean, you know, we could differ on that. I mean, some people are really into apologetics. Depends on the time, the place, exactly. the person, and what yeah. the situation yeah, is. But we know we've we got to make a decision here. What they're saying, hmm, I think I'll look into that, or saying, yeah. no, that's not truth. Yeah. That's not truth at all. I know that that is not truth. Something sounds kind of fishy here. You know, I'm going to check this out. Whatever it is, you're committed to, I'm going to check this out with the truth. That's a good illustration. And she didn't really have anything to back up what she just said. It was all subjective, what she felt was right. And I've got a feeling that goes on continuously. But that's that's par for the course. That and that's there we go. <laughs> you, you had the belt on. You were committed to truth, though. If you can show me where this is at in the Bible, miss it. maybe I've missed it, but uh, uh, no, I don't yeah. think it's there. I think it's there. Yeah. So there's no doubts. We we need to know what we believe, why we believe it. It takes time. We need to be reading this. We need to be checking it out. We should be um, doing that on a constant basis. The devil will try to lead you away from the truth any way that he can. And I will admit, said it many times, but back whenever I got my real interest in the Word of God, after we had kind of moved back into town, I was still doing my music thing for a while, uh, but I would spend 
my days reading the Word of God. Eight, ten hours a day. Right? I mean, that's that's what I was in. <laughs> but that's, that's, I, mean, I couldn't... I couldn't get enough of it. And, you know, then we... I mean, Satan, I mean, he had anybody and everybody coming around our house. I mean, we had uh, we had the Mormons, we had the Jehovah's Witnesses, we, and the, the Armstrongism, all that was on TV and the radio. And, I mean, it was coming from every angle. Some good stuff, some bad stuff. Uh, of course, then then there, there was good stuff. I was there was an, uh, the Ed Young Senior back back then. I'd hear uh, watch him on TV on Sunday night. Anything I'd get a hold of. There really wasn't much that was really good, but there was some that was good. Uh, Charles Stanley's that was good enough, you know, especially at that time to help me, you know, get something solid. And then he sent people around me that uh, kind of put hedges around me that I wouldn't go too far because you'd catch something new out there and you go, oh, that's really cool. And it was health, wealth, gospel. And uh, I'd listen to Hagen on the radio. My, can you believe that? Dennis did that? Yeah, I did. Whatever was there, I was listening to it. And I thought it was great. And I bet if we talked to Ed up there in Michigan, at first, just anything and everything was probably going around because he was just as hungry as could be. And he was going to every church there was, the cults and whatever. Uh, But things, you know, finally start shaping up. And then you start saying, okay, I I know this stuff is wrong. I know this. And, and, you know, God is the one that does that. But at the same time, and the more you stay in the Word and then you ask about it, uh, you're going to... um, uh, stay on that objective trail eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really us ultimately. It, it, it's Him, and we must rely on Him. But the enemy knows if you're hungry, <laughs> he can give you some pretty interesting stuff. That's why, like Bob was saying earlier, the cults, that's why they are doing so well and growing like crazy. That's why Islam grows so well. Satan sows seeds of confusion. He loves to do it. He did it right in the church. Uh, church history examples for battling for the truth. Circumcision is one of the first things the church had to encounter, had to deal with from right, right from the outset. And then you see uh, uh, admitting the Gentiles in the church. How can we do that unless they get circumcised, right? And so on and on, you know, they, they're warned by that. The whole book of Galatians deals with much of that. Or Acts 15, don't have the time tonight, but Acts 15 was a first church council because the church said, okay, what are we going to do? This is fishy stuff. This stuff is not, not true. But what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? So they get together and they uh, put their heads together with what they know to be truth. And they say, okay, we know that this is not, so we're going to tell everybody, we're going to warn them. We have that today to go by. Uh, The warning of false teachers. Acts 20. Paul said to the Ephesian elders that they're going to come amongst you right inside the church and they are going to cause confusion. Who's doing that? Ultimately, Satan is. The battle not against flesh and blood. The resurrection. All of 1 Corinthians 15. You guys familiar with 1 Corinthians 15? The resurrection. That was because that doctrine, which is so central to Christianity, was being uh, encountered against by uh, the philosophers there in Corinth. But not only there, 
Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul warns Timothy that uh, this same kind of thing is going about uh, in other places. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of change but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus the eternal glory. He was talking about raised from the dead according to my gospel or, it's, or our gospel or the truth, the faith, the, the gospel that I preach. And uh, Paul knew it. He had to address the Corinthians and he's telling Timothy and uh, you know he's raised from the dead. That's a, that's a key point. Make sure that that is always the uh, central point. Um, the church has always had to define the truth. The church councils, the creeds, the confessions, the apostles' creed. So basic. It's so basic sometimes that it could be so general to people, but it, it, that had to be laid down. The Nicene Creed had to be put forth. Uh, if Dealing with the Trinity, the Athanasian Creed, the, uh, creed the, the deity of Christ. Those are important elements that cannot be um, disagreed upon in the church. They have to be agreed on. Uh, the uh, the confessions like the Augsburg Confession, which was uh, dealing with uh, Luther and the Lutherans, or the Belgic Confession, other European countries, the Heidelberg Confession, the Westminster Confession, uh, which would be where the Presbyterians at, but anybody that had Reformed theology had their confessions that was almost word for word to what the Westminster Confession was, and one of those being the London Baptist Confession. Uh, the you mentioned the uh, uh, um, which church was that? It was it used to be it used to be the Church of England, and here it's called the Episcopal Church. They had the Thirty Nine Articles, for instance. Uh, the Church of England did uh, that was defining what the faith was. So those confessions and creeds, catechisms, all those are very important. They don't replace the Bible. They're not on the authority level as the Bible at all but they define in short what uh, they believe. So that's why people repeat those things. Uh, They're good because it it reminds us, here's what we believe. The church made sure that the teaching uh, was not going to be going outside the realm of Christianity. That the true teaching would be preached. And if they taught something else that was absolutely against Scripture... They were booted out of the church. And uh, I can think of Augustine who had to challenge um, somebody who did not believe in original sin or depravity of man, for instance. Pelagius. Anybody heard of him? Today uh, we hear the term semi-Pelagian. They'll say, well, I believe in... uh, I believe in the fact that, uh, yeah, we have sin, but we also can make decisions to be saved on our own. Even to the point of, it doesn't have to be God's grace. That's really what, where Pelagius said. They booted that guy right out of the church in a hurry because he was going to cause a disaster in the church. It has to be done. That's called church discipline. Uh, so truth does matter. And the church has to do that. 
today when the church says, okay, it doesn't matter if they believe in hell or not. It doesn't. We just need to get along. We need to, like Penny was saying, we need to love each other. And as long as we do that, then we're showing that we're Christians. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, yes, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but they don't have to if they don't want to. I want to be loving to them, and they're going to heaven too. Oh, boy. <laughs> We've had that here in the store of people that have come in. Not that often. 1 Corinthians 15.33 uh, talks about having uh, right doctrine. If you don't, uh, having the wrong company is going to give you wrong thinking. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? If you go wrong in your thinking, then it's going to lead to bad practice and bad behavior. Quite a principle, isn't it? Boy, that's a truth. So now we go to speaking about truth, and we're going to go this far and say this. It is the only authority of the church, the Bible, the truth. Now that's easy for us to say. Um, But people will ask, well, is it possible to know what truth really is? Maybe to me it's this, and maybe to you it's this. We, We know... In a postmodern time, that's the way that people think now. We need to love each other. Let's don't let doctrines divide. Let's don't do that, no matter what. The modern attitude is that truth can't be defined. Yeah, right, right. Right. Hopefully, you guys caught that, right? Yeah, we caught that, but apparently, why did we that? <laughs> what I hear over and again now are what, two things. There's so many contradictions in the Bible. How can you know what's true? And you say, well, it's all. Well, how do we know if that translation is right? Right. Well, how can we really know if that's true? Those are the two big things that I hear over and again. What was the first one? Yeah. So what do we say when they say there are so many contradictions? What do we do with that? Show me one. That's the first place to start. Usually they go, well, well, uh, um. and if they show you one, they'll say, great, okay, I agree with you. It there looks like there could be a contradiction there. It looks, it seems that way. But let's go to another verse over here. And uh, then let's look at another one. And let's see if there's really a contradiction like in the Gospels, for instance. Let's say, oh, the way that Matthew presented that was really different than the way that Mark did. And you go, okay, when you have eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses are going to tell you what they saw from their angle. If one is across the street over here at Burger King, then he sees something. Uh, maybe he saw that first car and what it did. Maybe if you're standing here at Alpha and Omega, you see the car that pulled out of the driveway. You didn't see exactly what the first car did, but you're telling, here's what this is. They're both telling truths, but from different angles. That's the beauty of the Gospels. It's not like the apostles had to get together and, and collude together and say, okay, now let's make sure we get this right, because if we get it wrong in what we're telling, then everybody's going to disbelieve us. They never had to do that. They just told from what they saw. Matthew is writing about the king, so 
what he is really presenting as the king. Mark is presenting a servant. Uh, Luke is presenting him as the son of man. And John is presenting him as God. And so we put those all together and we have, oh, listen to this, the full gospel. <laughs> you ever heard of that? The full gospel businessman? There's another, another <laughs> not that they have. thing that I run into quite often is, uh, well, yeah, that might have been true then, but it doesn't work today. It's not true today. What do you do with that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, God's the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So His Word never changes. And the more you look at it, the more it validifies it. As we have, like for instance, in the book of Corinthians, when we read that, and you go and look at something that happened 2,000 years ago, um, there is nothing in that book that's not happened in our times right now as we live. All of those things are going on. The, the scandals and the pride and um, the idolatry. All of that is it's all going on. Um, but that's, that's an easy out for them. And so we can show that there are not contradictions even though it looks like it maybe to the human mind, say, I'll give you, that's what it looks like, but let's, let's look and see what it really says, and maybe, uh, maybe you might be convinced that what you're saying is not a contradiction. Um, they'll say, well, you're analyzing it too much. Like, we're taking this, this little verse here. It's not even a verse. It's a half a verse. And people say, you're just taking that apart and you're making it say something it's really not now because what is so beautiful here as we read this and now you take it apart, it's like you don't analyze a flower. You just you just step back and you look at the, the whole thing and you say, well, that's really nice. That person never took college biology, did they? <laughs> I guess they take that apart, don't they? <laughs> I tried to see the beauty of the flower and apparently there were some parts I needed to do. <laughs> We lose the whole thing when we try to take it apart. Well, that's what we're doing. We're taking the Scripture apart. I mean, what we're doing is we're unfolding it. You know, we're just unpacking. Unpacking, that's the word, right? That's the new word. Unpacking it. God has packed it up, so we have to get in there. <laughs> digging, you know. We're digging for these precious truths. And isn't it exciting? But back in the 1800s, higher criticism came along. And in higher criticism... That's where you had the liberal thought and it started coming in that uh, the Word of God is really not the Word of God. Oh, uh, Isaiah really didn't write Isaiah. Moses didn't really write Genesis. And now we've got all sorts of problems. When you have that doubt, then this is just a bunch of books that were written sometimes maybe a couple hundred years before Christ. When you start showing them Daniel's prophecies, that was written 500 years B.C. and they take it up to just a little before Christ and uh, because there's no way that they, you could come up with prophecy the way that they did. Yeah, obviously, you know. That's what they're saying. But, yeah. Human philosophy. That's another thing. The advance of technology and science. And you know what? It is 10 after 8 and I am sorry. I thought it was about 10 till and uh, we're done. We're done for the night. We're not done with our section. Wow. I know I didn't. And so I'm going to have to leave you hanging. Sorry, I really needed to get to that.
Well, that's your homework for tonight. Go home and look all that up and study that. And give us a call. <laughs> Tell us what that is. <clears throat> we'll look at um, what Jesus said about the authority of Scripture. Then we'll look at what Paul said about the authority of Scripture. We'll look at what Peter said about the authority of Scripture. Uh, we'll look at what... Uh, what is the next thing that we're supposed to be on? The breastplate? Breastplate. Oh, well, somehow we're going to stay on schedule. I have to get to that. But I will try to get to this authority as it moves into the breastplate of righteousness. Is that fair enough? Hey, uh, thank you guys for...